Awesome. Good. That happened on the last one. I recorded an episode with Jams Partridge, uh, guy from Oklahoma. He just fought in combat jujitsu. The last one they had before the uh, lockdown. <laughs> but uh, same thing. Like it was like a delay on the audio when we finally got going. No. Yeah, it was. That would suck if we did this whole thing and there was like no audio or something weird. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've done a few podcasts, but I've never had anything weird like that happen. One time I had one not start recording for some reason oh, until shit. like a few minutes into the podcast. So uh, I lost like seven or eight minutes of it. But oh shit! Yeah, that's just the, the only time. But yeah, you know, I do these solo for the most part. I am getting like, or, or I'm going through the process and trying to secure an intern to work on this podcast uh, from like the university here in, in my town is right across the street from our gym. So, so where are you again? Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah. Where are you located? Colorado. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. yeah I've, I've been to Red Rocks, uh, Garden of the Gods. Nice. Uh, I would like to come back. Oh, you so. definitely got to dude. You should come out sometime. Come out, hang out, train. There's so much to do around here. It's like, it's, it's so beautiful. You know, almost every single day of the year, the weather's always nice. Yeah, yeah. Are, are you close to Denver? Where whereabouts? We're like I'm in uh, Lakewood. It's a suburb of Denver. Denver, so like we're ten minutes from Denver. Cool. Yeah. My favorite band has more sold out shows at the Red Rocks than any other band. Widespread Panic. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm definitely coming to see them. Um, I was gonna go this this July, and it's not happening. Oh wow. Yeah. A lot of concerts aren't happening. I, I was going to go to five different concerts, like from now to like 2021. I bought some that were like way far in advance, and they all got. I got refunded on all of them. Wow. That's yeah, it is. But we'll get back, man. Um, you know they're they're doing all sorts of creative stuff, streaming concerts. Uh -huh. uh, it's it's been interesting to see people push through and innovate. In all industries, jujitsu. Seems like there's like drive-in concerts now too, like almost like a drive-in theater kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, right on, man. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on. You know, I, I was talking with you back and forth on uh, on Facebook before we uh, set up a time, and yeah, I first saw you do this move, and I, you know, I'm sure other people came in, but this triangle, right? Like a leg in triangle choke right. but also arm in so yeah. I, I remember the first time i hit that move on somebody i was just like but you you know that's like man you have done maybe i was telling you like i really systematize my jiu-jitsu I'm, I'm a historian i teach mm -hmm. i've always really like obsessed and made mind maps and stuff but i have seen you do like a bunch of moves like that where it's just like i've never seen that never thought of that where man you're so creative like how is that something that you just ha have always had a knack for did it develop some point like later on in your career i think i always had a knack for it but i don't think i was conscious of it before i think since i've become a black belt i've become conscious of it now and i feel like i can go to that well whenever i want to now in, in a lot of ways like if i'm looking for if i'm looking for you know creativity or i'm looking for a move, whatever I'm looking for, I'm going to find something there. 
but I'm always looking. And I think I've always been kind of that mindset of looking, you know, when I was a kid, I was always a tinkerer. Like I like to tinker with things and take shit apart. I couldn't always put it back together again. You know, your parents didn't always like that, but I would always start taking things apart and trying to dismantle things and then put them back together again and dismantle them and put them back together again. And that's how I approach jujitsu. I look at it like I'm building something, right? So I'm going to put it together then and then I'm going to reverse engineer it. Then I'm going to go, okay, well, that's interesting. So there's that choke from this position. Now, what if I did it from the opposite of that? Because jujitsu work is an easy framework to build from, right? Like it's four positions. So, you know, if you can do a technique from the mount, if I flip it over, I could probably do it from the guard too. Well, that's interesting. Well, if I can do it from the front of the body, the guard, then I could probably do it from behind the body too. And if I can do it from behind the body, I could flip myself over backwards and try it too. You know what I mean? So it's like you start building these things. And I think if you're looking for stuff, you're going to find it. And I find most of the most, the most interesting stuff in the kids class. Like you teach kids, right? You run an academy. Yeah, yes. Yes. I, I've noticed a lot of things too. I'm a four-year-old and they do something like, like they're going to, they're in the mount and you're teaching an armbar, right? So they go to bring their hips around and they don't go to the side, the armbar they're supposed to. They go to the other side, which is weird. Like the arms laying backwards now, but then you're sitting there looking at it and the kid moves his hips in some weird way. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, there's like kind of a cool umoplata there. Or there's like a try, you know what I mean? Like, and they're doing something that maybe like in most circles, a teacher might look at it and go, no, 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 that's wrong. That's not the way you're supposed to do that. And so they, you know, immediately don't do anything with it. Where I'm the kind of teacher where I try to be open to learning everywhere. Like, where can I learn something? You know what I mean? I'll be holding my kids sometimes and I'm like, you know, you're snuggling with your kid and you're like, oh shit, there's a wrist lock. <laughs> you know what I mean? When, when people stand like this, I'll always come, come up beside him. My, my best friend, he'll stand like that. And I'll, I'll hit it, his elbow a little bit like, hey, don't stand like that. But yeah, but yeah that's... Hey. It's not that it's wrong. It's that it's something else. That's what yeah, I tell my students. Perspective. And so, you know, and, and there's some environments aren't conducive to that. There's a lot of, you know, jujitsu is made up of a lot. It's like Baskin Robbins. There's 60 flavors, right? So there's a lot of different types of schools. And I've been to all of them. You know, I've been to schools where like, you don't do that. Like you don't question the way the move is taught. You don't say anything. I don't want students like, you know, I've seen the instructors. They don't want students talking when they're doing moves. They don't want them like, trying other things. See, I'm like the opposite of that when I teach. I encourage people to like play with the move. Okay, guys, we've drilled, you know, my version of this. Now I want you just to play around with the move. I want you just to tear it apart, build it back up again. I want you to see where it fits into your game and into your reality because my version of jujitsu, it's my version, but it's like, it may not be the same as yours too, right? Like you have to figure out where that all fits in there because we're not the same. We're not physically the same. We're not mentally the same. We don't maybe even think in the same way. So, you know, I want to offer something that works for everybody. And sometimes I think people look at my jujitsu and they go, oh, I can't do that. But if you watch my videos, I end every video the same way. I always say, continue to mold the clay. Not like, here's the move as it is. Don't mess with it. This is my move. I'm calling this the Mike Bidwell. You know what I mean? Like, I want you to take the move and make it your move now, not my move. Like, mold the clay now so it fits for you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and that's a great point. Like, I mean, I've heard some of the best practitioners, jujitsu folks that have inspired me have said the same thing. Like everybody thinks different. Everybody is their own individual martial artist, their own individual practitioner. And that individuality is going to 
spawn these things you're talking about. So yeah, I definitely can get behind that. And sometimes so, if you if you don't if you're not willing to do that, then you're not going to find those gems either, right? Like they're you know, and so because even when I'm tinkering with a move, what I start from and where I end up is usually very different. I sort of have this initial idea, and I think the move is this, or I think this idea is here. But by the time we kind of really unravel it all, it's something completely. See how I did that? Did you like that? I like that. I saw the unraveled behind you. It just kind of stuck out. But it is unraveling the move, right? Like you've, it's going to be something different later on. Where else do you get your, so like, you know, I've spotted some cool scenarios in kids' class. Like, like you mentioned, like one that came to mind while you were talking is like a kid will do the OOPA bridge and roll and the other kid on bottom, like, they don't close their guard. They're right. just like, huh? And I'm like, oh, you could pass, you could pass. But then I'm like the other kids, like, close your guard. But then I, I started, I'm like, well, that's a special timing. Like most people don't expect to get bridge and rolled. So you should bridge and roll in a way where they can't close their guard or where, yeah. you know, it just got me thinking down this path that I developed these techniques. But where do you get other inspirations from, other inspirations from outside of kids class? Do you own an academy and teach, teach yes, daily? I school. You know, I've been pretty much a perf you know, professional martial artist, <laughs> I mean, but I've been teaching and making a, you know, a living from this, you know, pretty much my whole adult life. I, you know, when I was in my early adulthood, I, when I was around 21, I went in the military for a little bit. And when I came out of the military, I kind of decided that that I was kind of on a path actually to, to be going to law enforcement, which if you look at me now, it doesn't look like a cop, <laughs> but like, I, that was kind of my path. I went to school for criminal justice. I went in the military. Wow to be an MP and I was like kind of moving myself towards be going into law enforcement and I ended up going in the military and I got called into active duty to for the first Gulf War right uh, wow. Desert Storm Desert Shield that's how long ago that was that's how old I am I'm 51 like that early 90s so that's like 1991 but when I came back from that experience I was there for almost a year when I came back from that experience I just knew that like, I didn't want to go into law enforcement now. I just, I just didn't feel like that was my calling. It wasn't my passion. I wanted to pursue this martial arts thing. It, it seemed interesting to me. You know, everybody around me pretty much said, no, 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 that's not like a real job. Like you can't, like, you can't do that as a career. Like you already went to school for these other things. My parents had paid for college. There was a lot of like, uh, kind of guilt towards that, you know, but I felt like I need to at least give this thing a shot. So, you know, I've always, taught as, as an adult now for the past, you know, probably like 30 years now. And so, you know, for me to find my inspiration, it, you know, it, it's always, I always think like a martial artist. It's not like I don't ever have to like, okay, I'm martial arts Mike now. It's just like, it's sort of just my life. It's just what I do. I don't make, I don't go into that role necessarily like in and out of it. Like maybe our students do a lot of times, right? They, they get, they come to class, they put their uniform on and they're like, boom, jujitsu mode for an hour. And hopefully that rubs off into their life and they carry it over into their life. But I think when you do it as a teacher, you're always thinking like a teacher. So you're always looking for inspiration and you find it everywhere. I find it everywhere, you know, from, I'll see like, I like skateboarding. I watch people do skateboarding, you know, skateboarding tricks and stuff or, and I'll, it'll something, it'll inspire something, or I'll see people, it's not, a lot of times it's not jujitsu. I don't even really watch, honestly, I don't even watch instructionals anymore, like really at all. Like I don't watch other people's stuff at all. And it's not out of like, I don't like their stuff or they don't respect it or anything like that. I sort of, it muddles the water for me for some weird reason. Like, I just feel like I don't want, I'm not interested like in other people's stuff that much. I'm just sort of like, 
in my own little jujitsu cocoon. I don't follow a lot of jujitsu that much anymore, like competition so much anymore, or like who's the per latest person or whatever. I don't really know a lot of that anymore. I know there's a lot of good guys out there for sure, but I don't look to jujitsu as much anymore for inspiration. I try, I find it in other areas of my life and just even just sitting and thinking about jujitsu and meditating about it, or, you know, get a soak in a bath and, you know, get in there and just chill for an hour or two and just think about moves and techniques and envision it. A lot of the techniques come from just tinkering with students, you know, we'll, during an open, when an open mat starts to die down, we don't leave, we'll hang out now and start like tinkering with moves and we'll just keep playing with moves or like my own family, all my, my whole family trains, my wife and my kids all train. So like, we always have partners, you know, we're always throwing our geese on at home. You, your family trains, right? Yeah, it's my wife and I, we own an academy. Did I see you and like your daughter do like a hair choke? Right, yeah. I told that to like, okay, so I have long hair too. It's about like midway down my back. Right. But I have these two girls that have these braids that go like all the way past their belt. And I'm like, you guys got to watch this video. <laughs> like, look at this. Is it came originally from my wife. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a pretty, pretty wild story. We were training at a different academy. This is before we opened our school out here in Colorado. We were out on the East Coast training at a school. And whenever my, my wife's a brown belt, this is when she was, I think, a purple belt. And whenever she rolled with this one guy, he was a... Uh, a black belt and he would he would always grab her hair which was weird like that's kind of that's not really the etiquette issue but if you knew this guy with him it just sort of didn't seem that weird because he's this big russian dude and like just kind of like a kind of dude that's like carved out of stone you know what i mean and he's just like just that guy and he would he would like grab her hair and and she came you know we talked about it after class and she's like you know he keeps grabbing my hair in class when we're rolling and it's kind of weird and it's making me a little uncomfortable and I was like, I was kind of like, you know, what? That's, that is kind of weird. You know what I mean? Like, and she, I said, do you want me to say something to him? Do you want me to, you know, say something, you know, whatever. And she's like, no, no. And I, and I made like a crack to her. I said, you should choke him with your hair. And she's like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll figure it out, whatever. And we just kind of laughed about it. And so some time went by and she's an open mat and she's rolling with him. And I'm looking over and I see her get his back. I see her taking her hair down, she had it up in a bun on top, she starts taking it down, unraveling it, she wraps it around his neck and she chokes him with it. And he was like, kind of bowed to her and like, was like, wow, that's, told her that was awesome. And that the reason he had grabbed her hair before, he wanted her to understand that like, if she was ever, you know, in a self-defense scenario, someone could do that. And I understand that's obviously like, that's not appropriate in a classic. You don't really do it, do that. But you know, with him, it sort of didn't seem like that weird. And if you knew the guy, you wouldn't think it was that weird. Um, but it was a cool lesson. And so we started playing around with like hair chokes, like how did, well, that's kind of funny. Let's, let's think about like, let's video it and do a bunch of hair chokes just kind of for fun. And we put it online and people thought it was kind of cool and funny and stuff. And I've done it. My hair is really long. It goes down to the middle of my back and I pulled out some hair chokes. I'll do it mostly like if I mount somebody and my hair starts coming down, I'll reach behind their head and I'll pass the braid right here and I'll turn it into almost like an Ezekiel choke. So that's if, or when I get behind someone's back, I'll wrap it around them, you know, it, it definitely works, you know, and it's kind of funny because you'll hear that, like, if you have long hair, like, everybody will say that shit, like, oh, you got long hair, what's going to happen if somebody attacks you? It's like, well, I'm not going to cut my hair because I'm worried about some random moment that may never probably happen in my life. And if you're following that philosophy, because I've seen guys will be like, oh, dude, you should cut your hair, man, you do jujitsu. 
It's like, are you going to tell every female that has long hair they have to cut their hair now? I don't want my daughter to have to cut her hair to do jujitsu. Like, I don't want my wife to have to cut her hair off just to like do jujitsu. That's kind of, it's a weird mindset. But yeah, it was kind of this weird thing that turned into like, you know, a kind of funny story. And, you know, and actually like, it's a legit choke. Like, you know, you can for sure do that. Yeah, that's when that's one of those, like when I was talking earlier, those creative things, you're like, I've never seen that anywhere else. And I want to say that when I was showing this to these two girls, that all I did have to do was go into, I think, Facebook and type in hair choke jujitsu. And it was like, (laughs) there it is. They probably loved it. Like, oh, yeah, they did. And that to me is like what's so cool about jujitsu is that you learn how to use your whole body. You know, it's like it's not like other martial arts, right? Like that is it's why anybody can literally do jujitsu. As long as you know, there's guys out there that don't have limbs, right? There's people without legs that do jujitsu. But if you did taekwondo, how you can do taekwondo, right? It's a kick in martial art. It's only, you know, it's kind of designed for a certain type of person and certain physicalities. Like I did taekwondo and I got my black belt in taekwondo when I was a kid. I don't think I could do taekwondo anymore, like physically. Like literally, I don't think I could do it at fifty one. Cause I feel like when I do a lot of heavy stand-up now, I definitely feel like it's very, it's rough on my body. Whereas jujitsu, I can find ways to move around stuff in my body that I maybe doesn't feel great. You know, maybe my knees are feeling awesome right now and I'm doing a lot of triangles and stuff, but maybe in a month from now, they're, maybe they're bugging me a little bit. And so I can put triangles on the shelf for now and play a different game of jujitsu because it is so adaptable it'll completely adapt to your body and your circumstances where most other activities in life just don't do that. Like, you know, if you have really bad knees, you're not going to be a runner. Yeah. 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 You know, you're just, you and just in conversation earlier said martial artist, right. And you're talking about, you know, I had a Taekwondo background, like what other stuff have you uh, trained or do you train? Do you do stand up presently? mostly you know nowadays i mostly focus on jujitsu you know we do um we do teach you know self the self-defense aspects of jujitsu in our academy so like i want my students to learn at least the basics of striking like i I, there's nothing worse to me than like you know a blue belt that can't throw a punch like or doesn't have the understanding of a punch or the understanding or the biomechanics of a kick doesn't mean i want you to be like a pro fighter i don't even need you to be even great at it I want you to be good enough though that if you came across some fool out there in the real world that's throwing some crazy ass punches and kicks, you could handle that. Not like you've never even experienced a punch or seen a punch or don't even understand the mechanics of it. Like how can you understand how to like defend that if you can't like do it yourself, at least understand the basics of it, right? So I require my students to at least get the basics up to blue belt. I want them to know the self-defense, like, you know, basically the combatives of self-defense of, you know, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. And I want them to know at least the basics of striking. Um, I came up doing that stuff. I've been doing martial arts my whole life. You know, since I was a kid, I started when I was, you know, 10, 11 years old, 51. I've been doing it my whole life. Like most people back then, I started out doing Taekwondo because it was like the only thing. This is like, you know, early 80s martial arts wasn't really that popular yet it was in like 84 when karate kid came out that it like really kind of blew up you know became more like a kid's thing when i first started doing karate back then there weren't even like kids in the class like the school that i went to the taekwondo school it was there were adults and kids together but there was only like a couple kids there was a couple few kids that really wanted to do it and then there was a bunch of men and a few ladies and that was pretty much it 
and it was very different back then. It, you know, there wasn't like the sparring gear like nowadays. We didn't wear rib protectors and head protectors and stuff like that. We probably should have, but you know, kind of like a lot of things back then, right? I don't remember ever wearing a seatbelt when I was a kid or wearing a bike helmet. Doesn't mean it was smart, right? It's just yeah. how it was those days. Uh, but I did Taekwondo and I think like when I did Taekwondo, I saw the limitations of it too. Like I remember thinking like, I don't really understand how to box. And I was always the kind of martial artist that I wanted to be a martial artist. I wanted to be good at everything. I wanted to sort of develop my own kind of eclectic martial art for myself. Like I knew that Taekwondo was good at kicking. It was a focus on kicking, but then there was a point where like, I need to learn how to box. So I went to a boxing gym and I started learning how to box. And then I ended up doing Kempo Karate. This is like the early nineties. The school that I trained at was mostly like a kickboxing school. Like we didn't really do forms and stuff like that. It was mostly just like 16 ounce gloves and like pounding the shit out of each other. And I did that for a while. And that kind of, you know, I still saw the limitations of the striking. And this was like probably right before the UFC, like maybe 1991. And I knew that I needed to like learn some kind of ground fighting. I didn't know really what it was, but I knew that like I needed to know how to grapple and grab onto people. And I ended up going to a ninjutsu school. Yeah. And, and back who was then, that? Was it Stephen Hayes or anything like that? He's the famous. No, so like the guy that I, he was a legit ninjutsu instructor. He trained under uh, Robert Bussey. Do you remember Robert Bussey? Oh, that sounds familiar, but I couldn't tell you so that. Actually, when ninjutsu, you know, ninjas, right? When ninjutsu came to the U.S. like in the 70s, there were basically two practitioners that trained under Hatsumi in Japan. One of them was Stephen K. Hayes, which yeah. most people know about, wrote a lot of books. I remember getting his books when I was a kid. And then there was another guy, Robert Bussey. Now, Robert Bussey was more like a kind of like hardcore combatives, you know, like guns and like you know like really like hardcore stuff it didn't have that kind of spiritual side to it like Stephen K Hayes had he was more like Busty was more like combatives and like grabbing people's hair and smashing their face and like a lot of weapons and stuff so the guy that I trained under like lived with him for a while and trained with him and the school that I trained in was more like we grappled a lot. We weren't doing like throwing stars and a lot of weapons and stuff like that. You know, we were more like kind of grappling. We had mats, we were doing locks and submissions, but it was a very raw version of it. It definitely wasn't like jujitsu, like it, but it was like at that time, the closest thing to it, you know, we were grappling and locking up. So to me, it felt like, you know, that next stage of my training. And at that point, we really didn't know about jujitsu in the U.S. It wasn't really into 93 until Hoist Gracie, you know, entered the UFC one actually, which happened out here in Colorado, that everybody started to see it. Like if you were a martial artist at that time, the UFC was kind of like, holy crap, man, these guys are nuts, dude. They're like fighting. We thought people were going to die doing that. What was it like the first fight in the UFC? You saw that, that big Hawaiian dude's tooth go flying in the air, right? Yes. Like and the one glove boxer, I believe also was also UFC one. Yeah, um, right. I just had one boxing glove. One boxing he, glove on because he knew he would fight a grappler and he thought he could box him with one hand and grab with the other hand. Um, so, you know, I did ninjutsu and then eventually that like around 95, 96 started leading into jujitsu. And I took, I did, I did an MMA fight actually in 96. Wow. In Virginia. And there were a lot of really good guys on the card. Carlos Newton, who went on to be a really famous UFC fighter. Classic fight with uh, Matt Hughes, I believe, right? With the triangle slam. Yeah. So this this event that we did, it had like, he was in it. Um, this guy, Dan Bobish, who went on to fight in the UFC. Uh, 
Joe Gerson, who was a really good shooto fighter and fought in Japan from Canada. So there was a really good, actually a bunch of really good high level fighters. And there was like me who didn't really like, I didn't know any grappling. Um, just what we had done in ninjutsu, but I wasn't really a grappler per se. And I ended up fighting a, a blue belt in jujitsu from Canada. And we fought two 15 minute rounds. We fought the first 15 minutes. It was at a draw. So they did 15 minutes more. It was all these weird rules too. Like we could knee to the, we could knee to the, I think to the head and to the body standing up, but we couldn't throw any strikes on the ground. It was all these crazy rules because they were trying to shut it down. Like at the last second, there were like politicians involved and the whole thing was so weird. And we had all these crazy rules, but I fought two 15 minute rounds. I ended up losing. But the next day, everybody that fought in the event was invited to Mario Yamasaki's jujitsu school in Washington, DC. So I went down to Mario's school the next day. And then I was hooked after that. Like that was it for me. Like I actually kind of went back. I had my own school at that point too. I was teaching ninjutsu in uh, Delaware at the time. And I went back to my school and I dropped everything that I was doing martial arts wise and like just started jujitsu. Like I told everybody, we're doing jujitsu now. We're not doing this other shit anymore. I pretty much hated other martial arts for a few years. Like I just hated it all. Like I just wanted it. And when I look back now, there was, there was a lot of value in those martial arts that I did that have actually shaped me a lot as the teacher and the martial artist that I am today. But I also feel like I needed to go through a phase where I had to let it all go. And just like be single-minded focused on jujitsu. And that's kind of how I ended up there. Did like, so I've heard, I've heard some people I've come into contact with and man, I, I'm real open. You know, I love you when you were talking about the hair stuff earlier, I'm thinking about Eric Paulson getting his hair grabbed and oh, J, yeah. JKD and Dan Inasano and Filipino martial arts. And man, I, I, I will train, I love training. I've uh, at the Super Sean Vegas. I went to, I've trained with Stephen K. Hayes before, right? But so it's like I've been pretty open. But did at any point like that during that shift, did you kind of feel like you were lied to? Some people yeah, report that. Dude, I was like, I was so crazy back then that like I'm embarrassed to even say this now. Like I remember running ads on the local cable TV show saying, Taekwondo and karate do not work. Like literally like running ads, like just calling everybody out in my town. Like, you know, come train jujitsu. It was all these really negative, like talking shit kind of ads, you know, that you even invited people in. Like I had people, some guys come into my school back then. This is, you know, like 1996, 97, 98. And it was still really, you know, new and people didn't know what jujitsu was, but there were, I had a Kung Fu guy come in one day trying to challenge me to a fight, you know, and, and weird shit like that back then, you know. But I was kind of being, you know, I, I probably deserved it too. Like I was definitely, I definitely felt like a little bit was pulled, the, you know, they, they, they pulled it over my head, the world over my head a little bit, you know what I mean? Like they definitely, like I felt like a lot of the traditional stuff really doesn't work. But I questioned it back then though, too. Like I've always been that guy. Like I remember doing Taekwondo and going up to my instructor and saying, I don't understand why we do this because whenever we spar, we do this. So why are we doing this? This doesn't make any sense to me. I think it seems that this makes more sense to me. And it wasn't that I knew all the answers. It just like, I could see through some of it too. Like you could look at it and go, this seems kind of weird. Like how's that gonna work? You know, what if someone does like grab me and throw me on the ground? Or what if a wrestler gets a hold of me? So I was always kind of a little bit leaning towards that, but there was nothing else at the time. Like no one knew For about you. And, and until you experience it and you roll and you get submitted by like a 14 year old girl, you know? or whatever, like we've all had that experience when we first started, right? Like some skinny dude who looks like me right now, like 
taps you out and you're like, God, that's, that's crazy. Like it makes no sense, but that's the, you know, the efficacy of jujitsu, right? It works and it's testable and it can be done a hundred percent and you can come back next, the next day and still do it a hundred percent. Like even other martial arts that actually really do work aren't mostly sustainable over the long haul. I think, you know, like I do like, I love Muay Thai and Muay Thai is really cool, but I don't think I'd want to be doing that like right now, like full time all the time. Like just that only as my martial art, I think it'd be hard on my body. But I think jujitsu offers enough alternatives with your body because you use your whole body that you can work around stuff. Like I was saying earlier, I can work around my knees or I can work around my shoulder or I can work around old injuries and stuff and still do it all the time and have a sustainable path that's going to, you know, outlive the present moment. Yeah, longevity, man. That's something that I think more and more and more about. I mean, I competed a lot when I was a purple and brown belt, like a lot, all yeah. over the place. Um and and it just i'm glad that i went through all that but at the same time um like now my focus is exercise for wellness train for wellness like be the best coach i can be help my competitors How like old are it's, you? i'm 33 yeah. so i'm not I, i'm not i'm gonna be 40 in seven years that's how I th i'm that's thinking a smart way to be thinking about jujitsu i always tell guys bjj after 40 starts before 40 like you set the tone at like 30 33 you know you that's where you start creating that path for yourself it's not like you don't want to do it like i did which was like wake up one day when i'm like 42 and go holy shit man like i'm not in good shape right now i'm still trying to do jujitsu but i'm not in good shape i'm kind of a little overweight and have like this like this you know this moment of like it's either you know inspiration or desperation like i need to either like do something get shit or get off the pot like why am i even doing this anymore like if this is going to be the path like it's got to be something that's gonna be sustainable for sure yeah you know and i've been i've been sharing this with people like when i so i opened my gym in 2012 i was in uh college i was getting my master's degree ended up um Going after that, I was out for a few years, like three years. And then I started teaching full time at a university, like a local school. So, but when I did that, like I'd stopped teaching, I was off and I was just like, man, I was enjoying myself. I'd just been on the competition grind, cutting weight. And like, when I started working full time, I wasn't competing. I was just teaching, rolling a little bit. And I got, I mean, I got unhealthy. I was gaining weight uh, and, and I just like reevaluated everything, right? And just made a whole bunch of life changes with how I was training, um, exercising outside of the gym, like something I wasn't doing. And I like I knew better, but anytime I'd exercise before it was so I could like make weight for this competition. You know, I gotta get on the elliptical for this day that I have to be this version of myself on this day over here. So I gotta do these. It was never like, man, I just wanna feel good. I just want to, I, I want to uh, have a positive outlook on myself. And that's been a big like psychological change for me uh, over the last 18 months or so. Uh, and really uh, soon, more recent than that. Cause I mean, it took me a long time to find a good balance with owning an academy, teaching classes there. I'm, I mean, I'm on the campus like 25 hours a week, but juggling that. And then also, man, I'm trying to talk to you on this podcast and stuff. And it's, and it's definitely like, it's a balancing act, you know, but good balance is always a little left and a little right. It's never, it's never this, that's not really balance, right? Balance takes a little bit of both. So yeah, it's always trying to figure that out. And I think, you know, as you, 
move through your 30s and me now into a whole new decade now. I'm in my 50s now. Like, you know, I guess I should change the name to BGG after 50. I just turned 51 last month. And some days I feel like 50, 51, you know, mostly not though, like not at least maybe how other people would think they might feel at 51. Like I probably feel like maybe how I felt when I was 40 now. I, I feel a lot healthier. And I think it's about creating that sustainable path for yourself. And I mean, it, and it's a lot of different things I think that go into it. Like you talk about like that balancing act. It's, you know, like, what does my diet look like? Am I stretching on a regular basis? People always talk about my crazy flexibility. The only reason I'm flexible is because I stretch. There's no secret to it. Like there's no, I was not born flex. I was born flexible, but I was never flexible. Like as a young martial artist, when I was doing Taekwondo, dude, I could never do like the splits and stuff like that. I could kick high cause I had long legs, but I wasn't like a very flexible person. And I definitely never stretched a whole lot. And I don't think most people that practice jujitsu really stretch. I think people talk about it a lot. And they have little fantasies about stretching, but they don't actually really stretch. I stretch more than I roll. Like I literally way, way more stretch than I roll because I realize that if I'm going to roll, I have to be like really flexible. And I try to hold myself to like when I'm going to train, like I'm going to make sure I'm warmed up the right way. I'm going to make sure I'm loose and I'm ready to roll. I don't ever become a slave to my ego or someone else's ego. If, if I don't ever like someone's like, hey, man, want to roll? And I'm like cold and I'm just standing there and I don't go, yeah, man, sure. I used to do that shit. And then I would get hurt or I get jacked up or I wasn't like, my body wasn't ready for this big thing that I'm going to do versus nowadays I hold myself accountable to like, okay, do I want to roll? Yeah. Give me like a few minutes to warm up and get my body loose. Especially like if someone else is like all hot and heavy, right? Like they're all like, Hey man, they just got done rolling. They're like, Hey, you want to roll right now? And they're like, you know, they're just all kind of jacked up and ready to go. And you're like, what? Oh, roll. Uh, yeah. Give me a few minutes. Let me get where you are right now. <laughs> Cause you can't count on them getting, especially if they're like, maybe not a black belt. You're not, you can't count on them. Like going to your level right now. you got to like, they're going to maybe be a little wild. So I need to make sure that I'm ready for that. And I'm also not going to ever put that pressure on myself that I need to roll with every single person all the time. I don't think that's sustainable as an academy owner. Like you can't like roll your, your obligation isn't to roll with every student, in every class. Like that's not possible. If you're, if you're like me at least, cause I teach every class, my wife was teaching, but we just had uh, babies actually. We had twins. Oh, congrats recently. Yeah. In April, actually April 6th. Oh, wow. Yeah. And my wife's been out of the mats now for the last several months. So it's been me in here pretty much, you know, teaching every class, which is great. But I have to have to balance that though. Like I can't roll every single day. I got to give myself time to recover in between workouts. And if I'm going to have a, a, a hard training session, then what's the flip side of that? Okay. Then I got to have a really good recovery session now too. It can't be like hard training, hard training, hard training, and then never, ever, you know, see how the skills get tipped, right? Like there's got to be at some point, like I got to bring this guy up to here so that like we're taking good care of, you know, Mike's taking care of himself after the training too. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay, so it's sidebar for my own selfish. Uh, so my wife and I, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, I, I'm always like trying. I'm like, yeah, we're trying to have kids, I guess. That's how you say it. We're trying to get pregnant. <laughs> we're trying to get pregnant. I don't know. She's trying to get pregnant. I'm trying to get her pregnant. process. We're pregnant. We're having a baby. <laughs> so but, we don't like do any of the hard stuff. We love this. Oh, we're pregnant right now like no you're not pregnant you did the easiest part <laughs> well okay so the hard part i'm sure you or maybe it's not hard 
but I'll, I'm talking to a lot of new dads right now about this, um, just in anticipation for my future life. But um, like there's jujitsu dads out there that own academies. I'm, I'm planning on being one of them. Like uh, you got any tips? Yeah. Like, you, you know, so the, my kids train, you know, my daughter's 14. She's been training for 10 years now and, and 10 years consistently. She's never like taken a break, not because like we impose some rule where she can't take a break. She's never wanted to like, she just, does she's part of her life you know it's where her friends are it's like what she likes to do you know my son is 10 years old he's been training since he was five and my wife is a brown belt we we met each other through martial arts we met at a seminar like almost 20 years ago i met her when she was 19 i was 32. <laughs> i'm a little older than my wife she about five six years five, yeah. a little over five years All right, we have 15 years between us so we've as a family like we've just always done martial arts so and I think that's, I think this is kind of the key, like, cause I talk to people all the time about, uh, people always ask me like, how do you keep your kids involved? Like, I want my daughter to, to continue doing it or my kids did it once and they don't do it anymore. Like they're not interested or you know, they became a teenager and they don't want to do it now. We've never like made our kids do it. Like we've never said like, you have to go to jujitsu. It's just always been like part of our life. It's just kind of what we do as a family. It's not like it's a thing that we go to or don't go to. And part of that is we, we run an academy. So they've always been in a school, even when we didn't have our own academy, we were working it for other people at their academy. So they were always in that environment. It's always been part of their life. It's always been where they made their friends. So for them, it's just kind of like what life is. And I think the key to it is to treat it like that and not treat it like it's something that they have to do now. Don't make your kids like practice at home all the time. Don't make them practice. Like I don't do, we don't do practice at home. I don't roll with my kids at home. We play around with moves sometimes, but we roll with each other at class. And I've learned a lot of lessons, like being not just like a jiu-jitsu parent, but like being their coach too, because that's a whole different paradigm as well. Like I remember like early on as a professor and as a teacher, I would almost tell my kids like, okay, we're going into jujitsu class now. It's daddy's a teacher now. Like, you know, I can't be daddy in class. Like I gotta be a teacher. And I can see now where that's not the right mindset either. And I recognize that early on. It's like, wait a second. Like I need to be daddy and I need to be professor to them. I can't take one away. It wouldn't be fair if I like, don't teach my kids in class because I'm worried that other parents think I'm giving them too much attention. It's also not fair that if like, they fall and hurt themselves or they're having a moment where they need a hug that I can't provide a hug to them too. And so that for me was like a big eye opener as a teacher is like, you know, I need to be dad sometimes. I need to be professor sometimes, but dad always comes first. Like dad is the most important job in the class for my kids. And so I need to be their cheerleader when they need it in class. I need to be, you know, their teacher when they need their teacher and I need to be dad when they just need a hug or something too. So like that was a good experience to learn, you know, early on that like, you know, where do I, what is my role now? And for parents that even maybe they're not like an academy owner, but they're sitting on the sidelines. So I, what do we tell our parents that come to, to our school? Like, I don't want parents yelling stuff to the kids. Like, I don't want you yelling advice from the sidelines. Here's we what have you, a sign. No yeah, coaching we, from the sidelines. Yeah, we teach them early on how to, we tell them how to coach. Give them a thumbs up smile at them, wave to them, you know, if they need a hug, you know, they're allowed to go get a hug. Like I'm never going to deny a kid a hug to their parent. Like not every kid, they're a little by little, they might not always need that, but at some point they might need a little high five or a hug from mom and dad and that's okay. 
but it's not, you don't want to be on the side like criticizing and you don't want to be yelling in instructions or, you know, coaching against another kid. I just don't like that kind of stuff. I think it's not healthy for the kids. There's too much of that and every other activity that they're going to do, you know, you go to a soccer game or something, parents are crazy. Like even jujitsu tournaments, you see a lot of like really insane behavior. So yeah. I think at the parent, like, and this is what we've always done with our kids too. Like when class is done and we get in the car, I ask my kids one question every time. Is there anything you want to share? And sometimes they'll say a bunch of stuff and we'll talk. And sometimes they're like, no, because a lot of times it's easy as a parent to like impose something on your kid where you're like, yes, I was watching you in class today and uh, I saw Billy over there mounting you and you couldn't get out. You need some help with that. Or you know what I mean? Like you could be like super critical and kind of like, you know, that you're going to push your kid away from it. They're not going to want to get in the car and have some like crazy, like, you know, conversation about, it. or maybe they do, but they'll let you know but I don't want to impose something on them that they didn't even like see in class. Like they didn't even really, they're not even attached to that experience anymore. And you're like, still like, Oh, well, you know, I saw this happen versus like, just let them, let them have fun with jujitsu, let them enjoy it, you know, and they'll, they'll stay with it that way. For sure, man. That's a great outlook. Yeah. So you start, so you start doing jujitsu, uh, mid, mid nineties, late nineties, uh-huh. you now on an Academy at some point, this is like the one thing that I've heard about you multiple times. And like one of my brown belts, that's a big fan of yours, wanted me to ask is you were, you were a brown belt for like 13 years. Yeah. 13 years. So I got, my I, belt. how did that happen? So my, my belt trajectory trajectory, if I can say that word was I got my purple belt in 1999 and then I got my brown belt in 2001. And then I got my black belt in 2014. So yeah, 13 years in there. And so, yeah, there's a bunch of the, the, the question that everybody always asks is like, were you training during that time? And yeah, I was training. It wasn't like I took 10 years off and I'm like, it took me, you know, 13 years, but no, I was training all the way through and I was actually teaching all the way through. And at some point running a, an academy and at other points running other people's schools and I kind of bounced around a bunch. So, you know, things that happen at that point, you know, uh, I've had, you know, depression my whole life. So that's always been kind of a struggle for me. When I was a kid, I struggled in school. I was like in special ed from like seventh grade on. So that was always like a challenge for me. I've never been a quick learner. Like it's kind of funny, but like it takes a lot for me to like absorb a move. Like people like, oh, you're so creative or whatever. But I, I, it takes a lot for me to like understand a move. Like it's probably why I like to tinker with stuff because that's sort of my process. Like I have to tinker with stuff. Otherwise I don't understand it. So I've always struggled with, you know, learning things and struggled in school. And there was always that kind of depression thing that always kind of hung over me throughout my life. And at that 13 year period, it was a lot of that going on. A lot of depression, a lot of, you know, I gained some weight. I didn't look like how I look now. I, at one point I gained up over 50 pounds. I was never that big guy. Like, you know, this is my normal size. I'm tall and thin and kind of skinny. And I was always tall and thin and skinny, but then when I hit my early 30s, I started like, I never ate good when I was in my 20s. I was that guy that could eat like anything. Like I just eat whatever I wanted and I never gained weight. Like I tried to gain weight when I was younger. You know what I mean? I could never gain weight. I remember trying to gain weight to compete in tournaments and stuff and I just could never gain weight. So I always had that kind of, that small skinny build. So gaining like 50 pounds for me was like, what the fuck? You know, I've, I never had been that big before. And so that was like adding to it. And when you're out of shape and doing jujitsu, like you get injured a lot, 
right? Like if your body is not healthy and you're getting like a bigger stomach and you're getting stacked up, like your neck gets compromised. And so I was getting hurt a lot and I bounced around a bunch too at that point to different schools. And so I had different instructors. And so it slowed down the whole process. And, you know, I even remember it like, so I got my brown belt in 2001. I had guys that were like, I remember this, started jujitsu in 2001 as a white belt and went through all their belts and got their black belt before I even got my black belt. So that was kind of a weird thing too. You're like, man, like I'm just never going to get it. And then the shift that happened for me was around 2012, two years before I got my black belt. And it was kind of that moment of either I'm going to continue doing jujitsu. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to have to get in shape and I'm going to have to treat myself differently. And I'm going to have to, you know, fix a lot of things that are going on in my life. If I'm going to do this, and this was a conversation that my wife and I had, you know, we, I'm either going to do this or I'm going to quit. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to have to find a different career and do something different. And jujitsu is maybe not for me. Maybe it's just not in the cards. Maybe I'm not going to be a black belt. And that was kind of the, the conversation that we had. And it was an intense conversation that, you know, we cried a lot and we were, you know, like, do we do this anymore? Like, you know, we're not, we don't have an academy and like, we're working for other people and we're not really making any money. And like, you know, I'm never going to get my black belt. And it just felt like that. And so, you know, I was having that like pity party. And then I had that moment of like, you know what, that's not me. I have, at that point I had two small children, you know, and it was like, how are my, my kids do jujitsu? Like, what are they going to think of me if I quit and give up on this thing? And so we decided, you know, I'm what's going to do it. And my, at this point, my daughter was, I think, five at the time, five or six. And she wanted to do her first jiu-jitsu tournament. And I hadn't competed in like 10 years at that point. I didn't compete in the early 2000s, but I was like out of shape and I wasn't competing or anything. And I, I always told my daughter, if she ever did want to compete, I would compete with her. And so she said, okay, I want to compete. And so I signed up for a tournament. And that was like the, the pressure on myself to get in shape. And I lost, like I said, and I signed up, for, I was like 199 or 201 at the time. Like I was, you know, the heaviest I'd ever been. I signed up to be at 175. So I had to lose like 25 pounds in like two months. And that was the pressure to do it. And like I did, I lost like 25 pounds. My daughter went in this tournament. She got first place. It was really cool. And then I competed. It was like my first time in like 10 years and I got first place and it was a cool experience. And it's just kind of like, I got addicted to it again. Like I wanted to start competing again. And I eventually ended up getting down to about 155, which is like my normal kind of body weight. You know, probably a little bit heavier than that now. What was the highest you were at the, at the zenith? 200, about okay. 200 pounds. And that was like just kind of all in one area too. <laughs> like it was just a big old belly. Um, but I lost the weight, changed my diet and changed a lot of things about myself. A lot of things, you know, if, if when you go back and look at me at that point, I physically looked different. Like my head was shaved out of shape i look at pictures of myself i had dark circles under my eyes my face just looked like depressed you know like everything about me looked different like i didn't look healthy i looked kind of sick and i think i was and you know uh getting back to competing again and putting out videos that was a kind of a big shift for me i never had put myself really out there before and it was like um when did i put my first video out i think it was like it was right when I got my black belt is when I put my first video out. It was like two, right at 2014. I think it was in July, July 8th of 2014. I put a ninja roll choke video. Out. You ever see the ninja roll choke? Yeah. It's where you wrap your lapel around their neck and then you do a front roll. Like you're in the mount, you pass and then you go to side control and you roll. 
And I was like, it was just this move I was kind of playing around with. And I was like, I think I'll put a video online. You know, I had actually at that point, I had already set up BJJ after 40, but I hadn't done anything with it. Like I hadn't really put any videos out. It wasn't really doing anything. And so I told my wife, I want to make a, a, an instructional video and just put it online and just kind of see if people are interested in it. And we had scheduled a time to film this video, but I kept putting it off. Like I secretly didn't want to do it. Like I didn't even know if I was as conscious of it as I am now. Like I kept putting it off, putting it off. And then we finally filmed it. What do you think happened? It didn't it blew come out. It didn't, oh. come out. it didn't come out the first time we get at home. I play, it's all fucked up. And I'm like, oh man, see, that's a sign. I was like, the universe is trying to tell me don't put out a video. And so my wife talked me into refilming it. So we filmed it again. This time I put it, I finally put it online and like a, a popular site reposted it and it just felt like, okay, well, people like it then. So I just started putting out a bunch of videos and, you know, putting out free content for people. I felt like, you know, it took 23,000 views on YouTube, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. That one's been out for a while and there's, yeah. yeah and so I, uh, I, I felt like it took a lot for me to get my black belt. Like that 13 years, there's a lot of good lessons in there. And it just, the motivation and the inspiration to want to give back now to the community, to put out videos and put out free content and just put it out without asking for anything in return. You know, I put out some instructionals now that I sell, but most of my stuff, 90% of it, I mean, if you go to my YouTube channel, there's just hundreds and hundreds of free content. And same thing on my Instagram and Facebook. I mean, there's just tons and tons of stuff on there. And I, and I've always kind of been that way because the way that I look at it is, you know, we talk about molding the, cl the clay, continue molding the clay. If I put a move online, the triangle is a good example. When I put out the first triangle choke, a lot of people thought it was cool, but then a lot of people talk shit too, right? There were people that were like, dude, that's a unicorn move. I remember people specifically saying that, calling it a unicorn, right? I was like, that's kind of clever. Like, you're never going to see a unicorn. Okay. And so I had never done a triangle competition, but I put the video out. And of course, like somebody eventually did a triangle. There was a guy out here in Colorado. He hit one in fight to win. He sent me the video and this was a few years ago. And I was like, oh no shit. He got one in fight to win. That's so sick. And then a guy got one in the Pan Ams. And then oh, a guy wow. got the worlds. And then people have gotten them like, you know, there's, you, you can look it up. There's most of them are on my YouTube channel, but there's all kinds of people that have gotten triangle chokes now. So like, it wasn't me. Like I put it online with the intent that other people can take this now and go do something with you mold the clay, see how that works for you. And a lot of the moves that I've put out, like I haven't always gotten them in competition, but other people have, which is even kind of cooler. Like I love seeing that. I had a guy that did, I have this choke called the Kraken choke. It's this weird, like kind of legs and arms tangled up kind of weird, you know, like the sea monster, the Kraken release the Kraken right from uh, clash of the Titans. So, I put out this crack and choke video and this guy sends me this message that like he lives like in Shanghai or something and he doesn't train at a jujitsu gym and he only watches my videos, right? He doesn't have a gym he can go to. He doesn't have somewhere to train. So he goes to a tournament, enters the tournament and he gets a crack and choke. And I thought that was the coolest thing because in his mindset, he didn't have like some black belt telling him that's not appropriate for him right now as a white belt. He just went and like watched a video, oh practiced it on like his homie, and then went to a tournament and like choked some fool out. Like, and he doesn't even like train at an academy. So like, and I'm not saying like people should just learn from videos or like that you're gonna become a black belt watching videos. It's not like that. But it's kind of cool that he did that, right? Like, you know, pretty ballsy move, right? 
Yeah, yeah, for, for real. Like, I've heard similar stories like that with, like, MMA guys. I even had a guy in MMA. He was – he did – didn't come to enough grappling classes and he was he was he had knockout power in both hands though and but and he could get up off the ground he could ward people off but he just never but what his last fight he choked somebody unconscious i was just like you're like what is happening <laughs> but it was just a guillotine choke and that's a lot of times i've heard uh, robert drysdale was telling a story uh in vegas one time was at a booth he was at and he just said the same thing that he got stuck cornering a guy in an MMA fight and the guy had no grappling. He was like, let's do the guillotine choke. And then that guy goes out there and gets a guillotine choke in the fight. Like that's all, all the grappling he knew, the sum total. Just one move. He's got his one move, but sometimes maybe that's all you need, right? If it works. Yeah. Well, man, let me ask you this, like on the, um, on like the mental health note, right? It, or, it, these, after you made some of these positive changes you're talking about, did that curb some of those things for you? Like yeah, for sure. Like it's, you know, like I think people that experience depression in their life, it's not like there's no cure all thing for that. Like that's always going to be kind of a thing in your life. And it's always about how do you manage that, right? Like how do you have enough positive things in your life to, you know, work through that. Like in jujitsu definitely does that for me. That's it's that outlet. Like I need to grapple. Like I need to get that energy out of my body. Otherwise, you know, it, it, it festers, right? Like it festers. And I think that as a whole, like as a society, we experience that, right? We see people all the time that don't practice jujitsu and they're just like, you know, not everybody, but like people like really struggle, right? They really struggle with that when they don't have that outlet or somewhere to put that energy it comes out in some other way in their life, whether it's through addiction or through like bad relationships or just like, you know, you're in traffic and you're like losing your shit all the time, or you just, you're constantly frustrated or annoyed or just something sort of like poking at you. Right. And jujitsu allows us to get that energy out in a really, really healthy way that, you know, for me, it's just, you know, been life changing for sure. Same man, it really has. It's it's been awesome. I've I'm going on 14 years for myself right now. Starting in 06 and uh, opened my gym in 2012, and it's grown immensely ever since. It's been a great, uh, like something I never thought I would be doing, even when I was uh, in my early early 20s. Yeah, but it's become um, just such an amazing part of my life. I can't. Uh, yeah. Well, man, let's, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. This has been an awesome conversation. Um, you mentioned, uh, you have some content, like where could, um, if you go to myself... my main website, BJJ after 40, it's BJJ after a F T E R the number four zero.com. There's lots of content on there. There's tons of free stuff. I put blogs up all the time. Nice. And look up BJJ after 40, you know, on Instagram and Facebook and all that social media. I'm on there too. And, you know, check out, there's always, we're always putting out free content all the time. So yeah, lots of good stuff. Well, Hey, uh, well, I appreciate everything you've done. You've created some awesome ripples in the jujitsu community and uh, thanks. Keep doing it. Nice, man. Thanks a lot, dude. All right. Have a great day. You too, dude.